So for my Feet Dirty project number two, I decided to interview some local environmentalists in the BVI. And the theme that I went with was celebrating local environmentalists of the BVI. What do we need to do? And the whole gist of it was to speak to them about the type of work that they do and the progress that they've been able to make in their field here in the BVI and the progress that they feel is still yet to be made. And this episode, I got to speak with Mervyn Hastings, who is the like a senior officer in our local, what used to be the Conservation and Fisheries Department, but it's now called the Unit on Environmental Management and uh, Climate Change or something like that. But anyways, he's been working in the field for like 30 years, ever since he was fresh out of high school. So he has a lot of insights into the inner workings of the um, the national organization for um, <clears throat> conservation and environmental management. So let's jump into it. So you are the Deputy Chief Conservation and Fisheries Officer, the owner of Realty Solutions, BVI and Realty Construction. Nope. What? No? No. Nope. There's no longer no long a Conservation and Fisheries Department. That is no longer, as of, as of here, when the new government went in, there's no longer a Conservation and Fisheries Department. Okay. So the reason I said that is because when I went on the website, it still says Chief Conservation and Fisheries Officer. Yeah, that should not be anymore. That's old. Okay. So, yeah, I was saying that was going to be my first question. If you could explain the restructure that occurred with the old Conservation and Fisheries Department and, like, what's the new mandate of each of the new units and what was the rationale behind the restructure in the first place? Well, there was, well, there was supposed to be a restructure. There was always going to be a restructuring where where, um, as you know, we're, we're, we're still drafting. Hopefully, it's going to get passed this year. Um, or, or environmental bill. Mm -hmm. um, and under, under the new, under the new well, environmental and climate change bill, mm -hmm. it, calls, it calls for a new department to be formed, which was going to then be the Department of Environment and Climate Change. Um, so even before the new government came into power, um, a year and a half ago, whatever it was, um, the plan was the ministry was going to separate, was going to separate it and merge the, the Department of Agriculture and Fisheries together and have a separate department, which would have been the Department of Agriculture, which would have been the Department of Environment and Climate Change. Okay. Um, and, and all of that was going to be under the Ministry of Natural yeah. Resources and Labor. Um, so what happened is that when election did change, you know, there's politics involved. Um, the Minister of Education and Culture, who became uh, Natalia Whitley, he he wanted agriculture and he wanted fisheries. Okay. So that's that's where the hiccup that's where the hiccup came. So it became now the Ministry of the Ministry of Education, Culture, Agriculture, and Fisheries. So we ended up losing agriculture and fisheries, the Ministry of Natural Resources. Um, so because of, because that happened, and 
the law hasn't been passed as yet, the bill, then subsequently there's no more conservation and fisheries department. The, the members of who are in conservation were now a unit under the Ministry of Natural Resources and Labor. So we were emulgated under the ministry, which is now the, we're a unit within the ministry called um, the Environment and Climate Change Unit within the ministry. Okay, okay. So I guess right now it's still like in transition to the final product. Okay. There's no, no, there's no transition. That's, this is how it is. There's no Department of Agriculture and Fisheries and that sits with, <laughs> that sits with the Ministry of Education and Culture and there's now an Environment and Climate Change Unit that sits under the Ministry of Natural Resources, Labor and Immigration. When and if the bill is passed, then they will decide whether or not they're going to farm a Department of Environment and Climate Change. Right. Okay. But, the, the, but the bill does call for that. Okay. Okay. Well, thanks for clearing that up. So other than that, you're still the owner of the Realty Solutions BVI and Realty Construction, correct? Yes. And, my, and you know, Eco Adventures BVI as well. Right. And you also sit on basically all the boards and all the committees and everything like that, right? Not all the boards, but a few. Yes, okay. I still I still represent the ministry on a few of the boards. Yes. Okay. All right. So, what are the broad responsibilities that your current role entails, and how does that translate into your day-to-day, week-to-week activities? Since you're always having something on your plate. Um. Well, like I said, the mandate the mandate of the conservation side still falls under. Um, I'll remit. I won't say mine because it's not only me alone. Still falls under our remit, meaning that we still receive all environmental applications. We still, we're still the ones that do environmental impact assessment reviews for any development that's going to hamper the environment. We still sit on the planning authority. We still sit on the pre-planning authority board. Um, um, we still, the ministry still has seabed applications and seabed leases, which the unit still has to go and review any seabed application um, development that comes in. So we're still doing that. We're still doing CITES applications and CITES, well, and CITES, or CITES bill was passed last year. Okay. So that's, that, that's, that's good. Um, we're still doing coastal zone management, whether it's coral reefs, mangroves, um, seagrass beds, um, you know, we're still doing all that work. All the remit is still going on within the conservation side of work that was going on before. Okay, so not too much has changed despite the restructure. Yes, despite it's just that we're not doing the fisheries management aspect of things, but we're still okay. doing. Since 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 we still retain most of the, I, I guess I would say the scientists. We still, when it comes to sea turtle, uh, like sea turtle is actually a fishery. But when it comes to the mon- when it comes to the monitoring and stuff of that data, we still we still do that as well. We still do we still do our sea turtle monitoring, um, in association with agriculture and fisheries because you know we're the scientists, so we're the one who's still doing most of the data collection. Okay, so from the time that you started working at uh, the department or now the unit. Um, what could you give us an overview of some of like the key programs and legislations that you guys have been able to establish, and how effective oh. or ineffective you feel they've been towards um, reaching the goal that they were set up to reach? Ooh, that's hard. As you, uh, um, this, this is my thirtieth year 
in yeah. government to tell you the um to tell you the truth and we've only had even before I came because the fisheries law is of eighty seven I think we've always we've always had a fisheries law and a fisheries fisheries regulations and unfortunately that's what we've been that's what the environment in the BVI has been using to piggyback off of for the last I would say thirty to forty years has been the fisheries law and the fisheries regulations. We have no overarching environmental law or environmental bill. And that's what we're hoping to get past this coming year. Mm -hmm. Me mean, meaning that if someone would go out and anchor on a reef and damage a hundred square meters of reef, there was no direct law that, that would tell you that, you know, this person is gonna face a fine and they're gonna get arrested because there's no law. We piggybacked off of the fisheries law, mm -hmm. uh, which is not no real fine. Um, even mangroves, you can go out and destroy mangroves. There was no law actually protecting direct mangroves and in, in, in the environment or seagrass beds. Uh, we always piggyback off of the fisheries law because it's a fisheries habitat. And because it's a fisheries habitat, you shouldn't destroy a fisheries habitat. And you know that's how you try to back end some people, but then you're not talking about real fines, you know? Mm, okay, okay. Exactly. So what we need, what we've been trying to do We've been trying for the past 20 or so years or more, we've been trying to get this environmental law or this environmental bill passed. It's been a long, 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 long haul. Um, but as you can see, uh, uh, not even see, uh, as you would imagine, um, a lot of people think the environment impedes development. Um, they always think of the environment as people who are there stopping people from doing any sort of development. They don't see it hand in hand with, with sustainable development, you know? The, the department or the unit is not against development, they're just against people doing it in, in, in a harmful way. You mm -hmm. can have development and, and, be very, and, be, and be very sustainable. And so, but even with the politicians, it's hard to pass a law that gives a department or a ministry um, powers that says, you know what? This hotel or this marina cannot be built because it's going to have detrimental effects to the environment. So we say no. You know, it's 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 when it comes to certain stuff, I guess it's it's, it's very it's very hard. Um, I think that's been one of the biggest um, impediment um, why the bill hasn't been passed. But hopefully, there've been some redraft and re-editing from a couple of years ago, and hopefully this year is going to go back to the house and see we'll see what we'll, we'll see what happens, and then we'll finally be able to have an environmental law or bill that covers destruction in the Virgin Islands when it comes to mangroves or coral reefs or seagrass beds or whatever. Okay, okay. I didn't know all of that. But um, yeah, so when it comes to legislation, uh, apparently it's um, a very long and tedious process, but um, could you sort of just give an overview of what the actual process is for trying to get those things um, written wow, into the well, it's a long process, but obviously it has to, it, it has to get drafted. Mm -hmm. And after it's drafted, it has to go through lots of editing with not only our department, has to go through um, a lot of other departments. It has to have public consultation. Mm -hmm. And then you have to draft a cabinet paper. You probably have to draft a, um, draft a green paper that explains it for the politicians. Then it has to go, after the cabinet, it goes through cabinet. It then has to go to the House of Assembly. It has to make it to the timetable on the House of Assembly. Then once it makes it, now this process is talking about a year too, even longer. And once it makes it to, to the House of Assembly to be um, tabled, 
then it has to have its first reading. And then obviously you'll have questions and it has a second reading. Then you have to have its third reading and then it's voted on and then it's passed. And then there's questions that actually at, at House of Assembly that has to be answered. And then the app, then you'll have more re-editing if they have edits from, from it. Then it finally goes back to, well, I missed a step. Before it even gets to the cabinet, it has to go to AG Chambers. AG, AG Chambers has to vet it because they too have to sit on cabinet with us to defend it. And then after all of that, after it gets three full readings in the House of Assembly, then it can be passed. Okay. Yes. In a and nutshell, that's how that. In a nutshell, that's how all bills and laws are passed in the Virgin Islands. Mm -hmm. So, um, but you guys, when it comes to uh, environmental law, you guys are heavily involved in that process. Yes, because we're the ones. Our minister will have to take it to the cabinet and to the House of Assembly. Our minister, the one. Our minister is the one that's, that has to take it to, um, to take it to be the representative um, minister. Right. Okay. Yeah. So you, pardon me? No, go ahead. Okay. So you mentioned that you guys are still doing, I guess, partially a fisheries thing with the sea turtle fisheries project. Is when it comes to, when it comes to, when it comes to certain monitoring, like, like I said, sea turtle monitoring, we still do at, at my unit. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. We, we, we take, we take up most of those, most of the, most of that role. Okay. So do you guys have any other, um, particular projects that you guys are working on right now a similar type of project um yeah we we have a we have the, we have a project right now a darwin project mm -hmm. um that we that we're doing in association with the association of reef keepers with university of exeter with um and i mean our, our ministry and the department of agriculture and fisheries um it's called the steel project you can go on the website and look at all that up uh, basically, we're doing a sea turtle program. We also have a mangrove project that we're doing. That's, that's, a, that's a, another Darwin Plus project that we're doing. Is it it's the same one with the, like, is it in collaboration with the college, that one? Sort of. Sort of we're doing that, but the Darwin one is more of an RLE project. It's a red listing of, of all the mangroves in the BVI. Okay. Um, this, this, is with the, this is with IUCN, mm -hmm. um, and it's another Darwin project that, we, that, that we're doing. Mm -hmm. um, and locally, we're always trying to replant mangroves. Locally, we're doing, um, we're continually doing water quality mm -hmm. monitoring. That's that's something we've been doing for over twenty years, and, we're, right. and that's we're still actively monitoring some of the major bays and marinas in um, in the territory. That's still going on. Um, and right now, the biggest thing that's going on in the BVI and throughout the Caribbean, throughout the Upper Caribbean, is um, there's this tony called tissue loss disease. That's right killing every single thing. So we're actively um, going out and applying antidote and, and stuff to these affected cows to hopefully um, impede the growth and the spread of um, this thorny cow tissue disease that's happening in the BVI. That's probably one of the major projects we have going on. Okay, all right. So other than, I guess, um, pol political things and the typical funding issues, what other things do you feel are big barriers to progress in the department? Um, I guess the biggest thing is going to be fun. It's always funding. You need, you, you, in order to do work, you need funding. Mm -hmm. um, right, right now, to, even to, do, to go out and do all, to stop this, this, this um, stony cow tissue loss disease from happening, we're depending on assistance from commercial dive services and other commercial people and using their boats 
getting 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 dive tanks, getting out there in the field, it takes money. Um, the treatment of antibiotics and stuff like that, it takes it takes money. Um, thankfully, there's been them. There's been ARC that assists with finances. But yeah, as you know, government is reducing their budget every single year. They they want you to do more with less now. So that's 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 where a lot of this is happening. Okay. So if we take a step back and we look like not just at the department, but the holistic picture of environmental management in the BVI, what is, what do you think is the most pressing issue in your mind? Like something that we're doing as a community that we need to shift away from or something that we urgently need to start doing or to do differently? And what do you envision we can do to get where we need to be? Um, probably illegal development. I would say illegal development and, and illegal cutting of roads. And let me see if I can turn on my camera and I can kind of show you what I'm talking about. And I can flip my camera because I'm, I'm home now. Mm -hmm. How do I flip my camera? See, now I don't even have to flip my camera. But I'll just show you what I'm talking about. Hopefully you can see what I'm talking about. Can you see yeah. the bit? Yeah. We just, had, we just had a little bit of rain. Usually when there's a lot more rain, the entire bit, is full of mud. Is that Ken? Um, is that Ken Garden or Brewers Bay or something? This this is Brewers. Okay. But what happens when you have people cut roads? When you have people cut foundations and roads in the hillsides, what people don't realize, what people don't realize is that um, everything is connected to the ocean. So even if you're a thousand feet above, you cut cut a road, the impact when it rains is going to lead to the ocean, and that's why most of our reefs in the BVI are dead. Um, very bad um, erosion or soil erosion management. And a lot of the reefs are dead in the BVI because of bad management practices. Okay. So uh, I would, that's something I would, I guess I would change. And I guess I also change the people's mindset. People don't believe that we can actually destroy things within, within our lifetime. And obviously we, uh, we can, um, like I said, just, just bad management practices in building, um, not having not having a law. That's probably the biggest thing that we need. There, there's no law. There's I had no, law no that, idea that there wasn't an environmental law in place at all. No, we have no environmental yeah. law. Okay. So mm -hmm. the, um, the Outlook for Global Biodiversity Report came out recently. I think it was last month or so. And on a global scale, we didn't reach any of the targets that we were set to reach for 2020. <laughs> <laughs> the, okay. The, the gist of the report, I believe, was that if we want to be on track for the new targets they set for 2050 and like reverse the curve of di di biodiversity loss, they need to take their previous efforts that we've been doing and not just scale up the efforts from being so localized but rather to be like broadly applicable and also we need to increase the ambitions themselves so aim higher um for yeah. here locally in the bvi the impression that i've been getting is that we don't necessarily have a lot of the baseline data we need to make those type of assessments for a large portion of the biodiversity but as you were saying um I believe that most people who've been alive long enough, they could probably testify to the fact, just anecdotally, that a lot of the things they saw when they were growing up, you like they're diminishing as time goes by. So 
Exactly. Or, yeah, as someone who's been working in this field for as long as you have, I think you would have some good insight despite maybe the lack of data as to where you think we are in terms of um, conserving our biodiversity and what do you think our trajectory looks like going forward? Wow, that's a hard question. Oh. Um, like you said, most of it, most of it is, most of it would be um, anecdotal data because right. we don't, unfortunately, we don't have. I said most, most of it would be anecdotal data because, as you said, we just don't have the raw data uh, that we that we need. I think the only thing that we have good data on when it comes to the BPI would be um, sea turtle monitoring. Mm -hmm. we, we have a good idea of our sea turtle populations because we've been doing that for the last 20 to 25 years consistently. Um, water quality monitoring we've been doing for quite a while. Um, coral reef monitoring is here and there, but we do, we do know anecdotally that a lot of reefs, not only here in the, in the, in the Virgin Islands, but throughout the world are on a major decline, whether it has to do with soil runoff or pollution or disease or climate change. We know, we know our reefs are in dire need. We know that our fish counts and our fishes, fishermen are not catching as much fish as they used to catch and not catching as much conks and lobsters. Um, so yeah, we are definitely on the decline. And I guess the only way to curb that is having stronger regulations, trying to get more data put in place and having, I guess, cat sizes put into things and, and limit the amount of things that we can catch anymore. Um, and having, we already have open and closed seasons for some of the targeted species that we know about, like conch, lobsters, or, or groupers and our hinds, but we might have to get even, even stronger. We might even have to go and probably um, have more fisheries protected areas have more uh, you know create more zoning where you know these are no fishing zones these are no anchoring zones um these are the kind of things that we're gonna have to start doing you know create more marine parks i mean that's that's what we're gonna have to start doing okay so basically the same as with the um global scale we need to increase the efforts and scale them up and that kind of thing but but yeah but that needs well once again though that needs money it takes money to do a lot of the things that you're doing and we just don't have it. You don't have the staff, you don't have the money, you don't have the financing. Um, everything you do um, require, requires money. Um, at the end of the day, you, I, like, like, like I said, we're about to pass this bill maybe next year that says, you know, there's no anchoring on reefs or there's no, you can't cut a piece of foundation and leave it unpaved. But unless you have the money to hire staff to actually and boats to go out and monitor it, mm -hmm. who's gonna monitor it? If, if, you know, if we have 100 illegal people out there and yachts in there that anchoring on reefs, who's going to make sure they're not doing that? If, if you don't have the staff to go and actually surveillance it and monitor it and actually enforce it, you know, you can have a law, but who's going to enforce it? We have yeah. a law that says, you know, we know it's illegal to kill someone, but if, they, if you don't have policemen to go out and, and enforce the laws, why have the laws? Right. I, I actually did expect that you were going to say one of the problems also would be under staff. Like, but I guess that also ties into the fact that you might not have the funds to hire people. But we definitely have that. Okay, yeah, exactly. Um, you, you need the funds. Part. You need the funds. Yeah. And even if you have the funds to hire the people, you need, you need to have the equipment to give the people to actually go out. Right. I mean, I can hire, I can hire 10 million biologists to go out and monitor the reefs. But if I don't have a boat or the diving equipment, why, why do I need them? Exactly. Exactly. Okay. Well, I guess... So, uh, and, unfo and unfortunately... Uh, uh, sorry, unfortunately, the environment is always the last, always gets the least of the budget, but, and, but then they realize the environment is what creates most of the budget because most of the people, 
people come to these islands because of all clear waters. They want to go diving. They want to go swimming. They want to go sail. Um, yeah, the last part of what you said was freaking up. Oh, what, I can't even remember what I said now. I think I said the last part, of, the last thing I was saying is that it makes no sense to have these things. I can hire, I can hire a hundred people, but if I don't have the, if I don't have the equipment to give them, then why would I need them? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you kind of alluded to this earlier, but I wanted to know more about the two businesses that you operate. So you have the Ecotour company as well as the real estate and the construction company. In the tours, you guide people through habitats, and it's a real highlight if you guys could at least see some kind of like wildlife or something. But obviously, like you were saying, construction and development is going to interfere with that kind of thing because you definitely need to disturb or fragment or remove habitat in order to build houses and roads. So what kinds of things do you try to do to make sure that those two activities can coexist sustainably, being that you actually on those two types of businesses? Well, there's nothing I, well, I mean, my, my, my private, I'm fortunate that my, that one of my private businesses, the Eco Adventures BVI, ties into my job, right? and what, what I've been doing for the last 30 years. Mm -hmm. But it's not much, what I, what I do when I do my tours is I preach, I 100% preach conservation. I preach, I, I preach how important it is for us to protect our natural resources, how important it is to protect our endangered species, whether or not they're plants, um, our animals, and I preach about invasives and how important it is to get rid of invasives. So, I mean, even though um, some of the things that's happening in the BVI, so I can actually, at the same time, educate people on my on my private tours about what's going on in the BVI. So that's why it's been such a such an easy transition for me and my business because, I mean, it's what I've been doing all my life. So, um, it seems natural, you know. But um, you were talking before. And then when it comes to when it comes to when it comes to, Ryan, yeah, go ahead, go ahead. And when it comes when it comes to construction, mm -hmm. um, I don't. If I have a project that I'm doing, or my guys are doing, then if we're gonna cut a foundation, we don't we don't we don't move all the trees. We don't clear cut every single every single tree off and and, and go down to the bare land. Then I always make sure that we put up silk curtains so that if it does rain that a lot of the soil is retained on the land, you know? We, we, we try to build in a green way. You try to save a lot, most of the trees on the, on the land. Um, so you try to do things, you know, in a, in a green way. Okay. Um, so, so on my, to, my, got, yeah. Yeah, on to the last few questions. Why did you choose to work in this field and what kept you committed to it for so long? Cause like you said, over 30 years, well, I was showing you. The, I was. I was showing. You, I think I was showing you the picture earlier. That one on your screen. Mm -hmm. This is why. This is why I grew up, right on the beach. This was me. I grew up. I grew up underwater, on the beach as a little boy, swimming, diving, snorkeling, you know. Mm -hmm. And this is what I've been. This is what I've known since I was three, four years old. Um, growing up right, right in the bay, right in a seaside community. So it's always been my life, whether or not. Whether or not I became a marine biologist or not, I would have been a part of the ocean. I would have been a part of the sea and um, growing up living on the ocean. So I've always been, um, the ocean and the environment has always, always been an integral part of my life. So I think it was, it, it was natural that, um, that I'm doing what I'm doing today. And like, I, and like I said, it's not, it doesn't feel like why I'm here still. 
because it doesn't feel like work. Um, and being out diving and swimming and fishing and doing stuff like that doesn't feel like work for me. It's what I've always been doing since I was a little boy. So doing it for work seems like it's still fun. Okay. So that, that's what it's kept me still involved um, for 30 years. All right. Well, that sounds nice. So um, on to the next question. What was the greatest local environmental travesty that you've ever witnessed in your lifetime? And what do you think could be done to make sure that doesn't happen again? Well, what was the greatest, I think, during my time? You know what? It would have been the destruction of a few acres of mangroves down at Parkwood Pond. All the way you see the, all the way you see DMV is mm -hmm. and beyond DMV and all on the, where you see electricity, the corporation, the plant and the cars there where you see those dirt and those where the barges come in. Mm -hmm. All that was mangroves. Every that, that entire, whatever it is, I don't know. I don't know if it's 10 acres or, or, or 18 acres, but that whole area was all red mangroves, a beautiful area. And it was destroyed in a matter of months by a huge oil spill over the years that the electricity corporation um, were, were doing, and it was all filled in, but that whole area was destroyed. Um, that's probably the most heart aching. It took us about probably a month of cleaning up um, every day to get that oil, that, to get that oil spilled um, under control. But it basically, it, it basically destroyed and killed all the mangroves in Parkwood Pond. Okay, I didn't actually know about the oil spill before they um, filled in the area. Oh yeah, that, yeah, that was all mangroves. Everything was mangroves, and they all they all died. Um, and what we would do to 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 that the bill, I mean. We, do, we, we have no legislation right now that protects mangroves. Believe it or not, people believe that we have, people believe that there's a mangrove law. Yeah, they do. We still get requests for people coming to prune mangroves mm -hmm. and we give, them, we give them permission. But legally, there's no law that protects mangroves. Anyone can go and cut a mangrove down if they want to. There's nothing in the law that says they, they can't do it. Yeah, so people have the perception. People have yeah, people have the perception that there's a there's a there's a law on mangroves, but it's none. Right, right. Okay. So I guess that's a good thing. Don't put that in your report, though. But but yeah. Um, who is another local environmentalist whose work that you really admire and why? Um. I, I would say Shannon. Um, I would say Shannon Go, and I would say Dr. Cassandra O'Neill. Okay. Um, both of them have been very instrumental in, in, in getting the BVI far away. I mean, Shannon as, because I'm also a sitting member of an ARC, mm -hmm. and um, when it comes to the Association of Reef Keepers, um, I'm going to say we, but that, that association really does a lot to try to protect um, the environment in the BVI whether it's on um, the current coral reef trees that we're, that we're doing and trying to replant the reefs with a lot of corals, whether it's not assisting and leading on a lot of the sea turtle monitoring program and capturing turtles in the BVI, whether or not it's on helping schools doing these, um, these gardens, whether or not it's to promote um, better, better building, building practices in the BVI. These are all the, some of the things that ARC is doing. Mm -hmm. and, 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 and Dr. Cassandra O'Neill has, um, has passed, I think she's be at a college now, she's at National Parks Trust. Yeah. Um, her, her work on, 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 on conch fishery 
in the, uh, for her PhD th thesis um, brought so much awareness. Kidding? Yeah, exactly. On the TBTs and how we can impede in the changing the sex of Kongs and stuff like that. I mean, and just her work, her work as a, even as, her private work as a consultant has brought, has brought a lot of recognition to the BVA and a lot of her work. So I, I would say those two. Okay. All right. So last question. Is there anything that you would want to impart to me and my classmates or to the public that you didn't get the chance to say during the rest of the interview? Um, it's not too late. A lot of us are thinking that um, the BVI is pristine. It is pristine, but we have a lot of destruction going on, but we're not there yet. If we, if we can stop some of the things that are happening, like I said, we, I would say about probably in certain areas, I know there's like maybe 60% destruction of our reefs. Other areas, and there's only 20%. Um, but through the work of coral reef replanting, coral reef nurseries, um, we can make a big difference. Um, even these illegal developments are going on. It's not too late to stop what's going on in BVI. It's not too late to turn around. So you guys are the future. You, you, you're the ones that can preach to the, the, you know, you're the new politicians that's up and coming. Um, you can actually have the, and have the advantage at the same time. For, for so many of my generation or the older generations, they believe that, like I said before, that when it comes to the environment or having environmental laws, it impedes development. It doesn't impede development. It actually ensures that you have a better environment for future generations. And I guess that's something I wanna leave with you guys. Okay, well, thank you. I mean, I would say it probably does impede development somewhat, but... Uh, Okay, well, thank you very much for making the time to um, do this. And yeah, I hope you have a good rest of the day. All right, thank you. Take care. You too. So that was the end of my interview with Mr. Mervyn Hastings. I hope that you enjoyed it and that you were able to learn something from it. Thanks so much for listening. Goodbye.